Hi, I'm your host, Michael Gilbo, here to let you know about a new and innovative theater major, the BA in Theater and Business Arts at the University of Providence. Get the education and experience you need as a theater artist and the business acumen to succeed in your career. Visit broadwaybullet.com and stay tuned to the end of the program for more info. Now, enjoy the show. Well, I wouldn't want it to be too perfect every night. It is live after all. Working at Lincoln Center, it sounds very huge and elevated. And that's what it feels like. Like once you're working there, because rent is about much more than just friendship, love, and musical theater. It was about something that shook musical theater. People are becoming more and more comfortable I mean, we do it all. I mean, you know, we don't we don't back away from anything. Welcome to Broadway Bullet, Volume 410, for June 10th, 2010. I'm your host, Michael Gilbo, and this is our season finale. We'll be returning in September with more episodes, so uh, for the summer, this is going to have to do you, or you can go back to past episodes. We've got a lot of great stuff for you. We have got The Meeting, which is a benefit performance for the uh, Ali Forney Center to help out uh, homeless LGBT youth. We've also got the musical production of With Glee from the Prospect Theatre Company, as well as some music from that. Uh, the Oberon Rep is starting from the Oberon Theatre Ensemble. Uh, one of the shows is being directed by Austin Pendleton, and we have Austin Pendleton as well as the artistic director here to talk about that. We've also got two more shows from the Planet Connections Festivity, which you can still catch the 26th of June. We have BJ, a musical romp, uh, and you're also going to hear some a song from that. And we have also got the show Cake uh, from the writer and director of uh, last year's very popular Monetizing Emma. So uh, stay tuned for that. Also, I've got a big, big announcement for you. It's going to take a couple seconds. Um, my girlfriend for a long time has been uh, debating with uh, <clears throat> the fact that she needs to move back to Great Falls, our hometown, uh, sometime soon to take care of her uh, ailing parents. Um, after a lot of soul searching, I have decided I'm going to move back with her in January. Uh, but fear not, I've already got a lot of plans in place uh, to keep Broadway Bullet going. Uh, not only that, the irony is uh, back in my hometown in Great Falls with far less financial pressure, ironically, I'll be in a better position to... Uh, organize, promote, and uh, editorialize for Broadway Bullet, although I won't be in New York. But to kind of uh, deal with the situation, I think we can actually make the show even better. I'm on the lookout right now from probably best off listening to our listeners, looking for correspondence. People are interested in doing interviews with uh, people in New York and uh, contributing that, as well as maybe blogging or reviewing. Um, we'll also be looking for one correspondent from each of the kind of major theater hubs, so Chicago, San Francisco, L.A., Miami, whatever. So if you're in one of those towns and interested in getting involved, uh, this is not a paid position. Even I don't make any money here, but it is a great opportunity to meet a lot of people, network like crazy. It's a it's a great networking kickstart. And I think ultimately, uh, like I said, it, it's been hard for the past couple of years, the financial pressures and with the studio, having enough time to really go out and search for some of the great, great interviews. And I think when we get some correspondence involved, we can make this show even better. Uh, so if you're interested in getting involved with Broadway Bullet, uh, I have a post at broadwaybullet.com telling you how you can get involved and what I'm looking for if you're interested. Uh, I would like to try to get this all assembled before our season debuts in September. Ideally, since I'm moving in January, I'd like to take uh, the fall 
season to help kind of get things smoothed out so that they're running smoothly for when I take off. So I'd love to hear from you guys as soon as possible if you are interested. Uh, despite this being a hard decision for me, there there have been a lot of plans and I've long dreamed of starting a really great uh, arts facility for uh, all the arts in my hometown of Great Falls, Montana. And it uh, looks like I'm going to have an opportunity to go after that. So uh, it's an exciting new chapter that I will be launching into. And uh, like I said, I, I look forward to still being involved and bringing you the best in theater in New York as well as around the country. Also, as I kind of pursue this new thing and, and get people interested, I would personally really love at this point to hear uh, – I know that this show has meant a lot to people. I know we've had uh, people that we've interviewed that have gotten some really good jobs because they've been on Broadway Bullet. I've gotten notices of some theater companies that have put on a show that they first heard about on Broadway Bullet and and people who just you know have told me about how much the show means to them as a listener and how they keep in touch. And right now I would really love to hear some feedback from you guys about what the show has meant to you over the years or however long you've been listening. Um, if you can send an email to me at copperheadproduction at gmail.com. Uh, that's my main email address. So you can also reach me at mgilbo at broadwaybullet.com. Either one is fine. It gets to me. I, this would be a really great time for me to, to hear about what the show has meant for me, whether you write a long paragraph or a few sentences. I'd uh, love to hear if, if you what the show's meant for you, if you've gotten something out of the show, if you've discovered something because of the show. That would be fantastic. I've also got a little post and a, a link for that email address if you forget at uh, broadwaybullet.com. But with all that said, it is time to launch into our season finale. Here we go. Sweet charity. The right wing does have a reason to be scared because there is indeed a gay agenda. And uh, we have the head of the just of the agenda's The Meeting, which is a benefit for the Alley Forney Center. Justin Sayre is here to talk about his variety show to benefit the Alley Forney Center, whose goal is to uh, help homeless LGBT youth and uh, a lot more services, which we'll get into. But we're going to be talking about the Alley Forney Center, a very worthwhile cause, as well as his show for it. Uh, here's Justin Sayre. How are you doing? Good. How are you? <laughs> Good. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's like you set up. He's ahead of the gay movement and then it's like <laughs> hello what do you expect um, <laughs> well, that, that should make sense as soon as you tell us a little bit about the meeting the meeting alright <laughs> the meeting was a show that I kind of dreamed up um, to uh, oh, wow now I'm at a loss uh, to um, just talk about gay issues and things like that uh, it's a comedy variety show, and we do a lot of political humor, skits and things. Every month we do a salute to a gay icon, so we've done people like Betty Davis and B. Arthur and et cetera. And, and it's really just a way of, of coming together under this false pretense of a meeting of the gay agenda, whatever that <laughs> means, um, and uh, laughing at ourselves and, and kind of laughing at the world around us, I think. So we do a lot of fun things. We play games like we had a Maggie Gallagher gay wedding ring toss, which was funny as hell to me, at least. And uh, uh, 
at the the meeting this this version we're going to do a version of the match game which with our own celebrities on the panel when when is the next show the next show is june twenty first at ten p m at la poisson rouge and it's a benefit for the alley fournay center um, and then you're going to be doing it monthly again starting in the fall? Starting in September, yeah. We'll come back to our monthly season in September. Um, and we, we've done the last six months at uh, the duplex, and it's been wonderful there. We've had, a lot, we've had great crowds and a lot of people very enthusiastic about the show, so it's, it's, it's a good time. But uh, we really wanted to conclude our season with a benefit for uh, an LBGD an L-B-G-T- It's a mouthful. It is a mouthful, <laughs> which is a terribly inappropriate joke for anyone who's listening. <laughs> and, uh, uh, no, we wanted to do something, uh, outreach to the community, because that's so much what our show's really about. So, uh, I had been a big fan of the Alley Fournay Center for a while. I think what the work they do here in New York is just so invaluable and really wonderful, and, and it was something that I cared very passionately about. And now, I think we've had other shows on here over the years that have been, you know, uh, you know, tied to or benefiting the Alley Forney Center. But I don't know if we've ever really gotten in depth as to the yeah. great services they provide. And, yeah. and that's one thing I really wanted to take a chance Absolutely. to get into with you is let everybody out there know know about the Alley Forney Center. Absolutely. The Alley Forney Center is uh, a center that offers housing and assistance to homeless LGBTQ youth. Um, and more so than a placement, I think the importance of the Alley Fournay Center is they really help these young kids who have been kicked out of homes or have come to New York without anything. Uh, they help them get on their feet. It's, a, it's, a, it's a, an organization that helps these young people thrive. They get them into schools. They help them with college. They help them get jobs. Uh, their job their goal more so than just placing them, more so than putting them in a house and leaving them isolated, is to tie them not only to a community, but tie them to really a, their own success. And, and, and I think that's something that, at least on my end, I look at as something so invaluable to these kids because I think it's wonderful that we get them off the street. It's wonderful that we give them a home. And But let's look at the quality of life. Let's make sure that they they can achieve their dreams, that this, that, that, uh, that the the fact that they were kicked out of their home was just a stumbling block, and now it's it's actually a benefit to them that they're they're thriving in in a way. And I think the Ali Fournay Center does that. I think it accomplishes that, and uh, really pushes its young people to 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 be the best that they can. And I think I think that's something so admirable, and and I, I'm glad to be in any small way contributing to that. Well, one reason why I just find them so important is. I mean, while there have been many advances made, you know, for the queer movement over the past years, mm -hmm. um, I don't think anybody would argue that it's still a big deal coming out, especially for youth. Oh, absolutely. You know, to actually come out and so many challenges that they, they face. And I think it's very important, you know, in, in this media, you know, spot, things have gotten better in a lot of ways, but in some ways the media attention has gotten Oh, absolutely. Worse. I mean, even if you think about this Newsweek thing that happened with <laughs> the gay actors, I mean... Gay actors can't actually. What are you talking can't about? Can't possibly. <laughs> Rock Hudson, you never we've believe we've it. We've never, ever seen never. gay actors be straight. Never. I mean, it's <laughs> a, I think it's our own obsession with their lives, 
rather than them, you know? Like, who cares? You know, but... And, and the reviewer who said that Sean Hayes, you know, you know, in Promises, Promises wasn't convincing, if he's focusing on Sean Hayes' performance in that show, I think he loses his stripes as a Don't critic. Don't you think? Because there's so many more problems yeah. in that show than yeah. Sean Hayes' uh, It's not the house, it's not Ability home, to, be, you know, <laughs> to be... Straight Seriously, yeah. We're really... <laughs> that was the problem. That was why that show was... A lovely experience. <laughs> lovely, lovely experience. I always wanted to see Mad Men dance. I don't know about you. <laughs> but, now, yeah, no. We have listeners all, all over, you know, the, oh, good. the, the country and, and the world. And I'm just wondering, does the Alley 40 Center, in addition, keep any sort of, like, you know, records on their website of other yes, organizations they do. around the country? Um, they, uh, if you go to the Alley Fournay website, Alley Fournay, A I L. No, wait, A-L-I-F-O-R-N-E-Y center.org. They have resources around the country, um, which uh, they, they list resources around the country to help other youth and, and uh, services like that. Because I, I think the youth are the big hiddens. I mean, when an adult comes out, they definitely have a lot more independent control over their lives now they do it but when a, when a kid faces problems when they're coming out I think the resources are a lot slimmer oh yeah and kids are coming out younger and younger now I mean I, you see it that I, I mean I know friends now who came out when they were in high school when did you come out because I'm guessing it was about five but no <laughs> shockingly enough no I had a girlfriend in high school the poor woman <laughs> No, I know. <laughs> no, they had they had a clear idea, but I mean, I had scarves on and everything, and wanted to be Ginger Rogers for a number of years. But I think we lived in a small town, so <laughs> you know, they just hoped I was eccentric, whatever that. Okay, you small town. I, I was gonna say where I got. I'm trying to place the accent. Oh, the don't, act, don't answer yet because okay, I'm gonna make fun ahead. of you for a second. Please do. <laughs> You sound like a Brooklynite mixed with an erudite upper crust Bostonite with a bit of Blanche Dubois thrown in. That might be right. <laughs> that might be right. I, um, yeah. Uh, no, absolutely. My voice, I had a stutter growing up, so I went to an elocutionist. I grew up in a little... Elocutionist. An elocutionist, that's why. I didn't go to, like, the speech therapist, otherwise I would have sounded normal. Now I sound... Exactly. That's a perfect <laughs> description, actually. I might use that going forward. I just say, I come from the land of pretension, you know, <laughs> and hope that people get over it. But yeah, this is my actual voice. It's very, it's, you know, what it is. I can't, people like me to read things, rap lyrics especially, because <laughs> it's absurd. But um, yeah, no, this is my, this is my voice. <laughs> Played so, out to millions. Kind of back to the meeting a little bit yeah. now. I know you have a lot of you have guest stars. Like we have wonderful and... guest stars, and the list keeps growing. Um, right now, we have Bridget Everett, who's uh, the bravest performer in New York City. She's just absolutely wonderful. She's a force to be reckoned with, and and something I. Uh, I admire her immensely, and uh, we have another. We have Jeffrey and Cole of Jeffrey and Cole Casserole fame on Logo Television are coming to do our show, uh, and they're great, very funny guys. You should check them out on Logo TV. Their season starts in July, and uh, then we have Erin Markey, who's a downtown performer. Her play, Poppy Love, just opened with to wonderful reviews, and she's a great friend and, and really going to do some great stuff at the meeting. And Molly Pope, who is, a, is a, also a downtown performer, um, 
is going to do some songs. And she's done the, the regular meeting twice, so she's kind of a, a regular, at least on our setting. And, um, and you know, we're still getting confirmations in, so please check back with us, and, and you'll see, who knows who could end up being there. Know, we're hoping we're, out for children. We're going to put a link to your Facebook page Absolutely. up at, at broadwaybullet.com, but it's uh, facebook.com slash the meeting. Wink. Wink. It is wink. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. So what's, what's your background, Justin, that, that made you decide to start this program? Start this? Okay. Um, well, I was an, I'm an actor and uh, a writer. And um, I, think, I think like a lot of people of, of my generation, at least, when Prop 8 happened... Can you play a straight character? I can play a straight character. <laughs> You'd be surprised how straight I can be, even with the voice. Um, <laughs> no, uh, I, um, I was doing stuff and and I'd been writing some material for myself and then Prop 8 happened and I thought wow, I really want to get involved in something. I really want to um, create something queer friendly. I want to create something like that. And um, then I read an article that said gay culture was dead and I kind of felt like I was in chorus line. You know, where you had there that wonderful line, don't tell me Broadway's over because I just got here. I thought, really? I just saw Valley of the Dolls two years ago and I can't, I still can't get over it. So if gay culture's dead, I'm in trouble. Um, <laughs> but so I wanted to write this show and I wanted it to to really be political and get information out there, but to just be fun. And I think that's something that I know that I at the show, I and the people that work with me really strive to do. Um, one thing that we did that I'm really proud of, because I, I, when the whole Uganda bill came down, you know, about we're going to kill gays, and I thought, oh, God, how am I? Because I'm funny. I don't know how to, <laughs> you know, I can be serious, but who knows? I don't know if it's effective. Um, <laughs> we, I said, I really want to do something about Uganda in the show. So uh, I wrote this monologue, like my best Susan Hayward impression from I Want to Live, which I hope some of your listeners know, <laughs> and I hope you know because it's a wonderful film. Um, but uh, And I did it, and we didn't explain it. You know, we just said, here's this person in jail for reasons unbeknownst to any of us. And uh, we did this whole monologue, and it got laughs because it was over the top and campy and fun. And when I stood up, on the back of my shirt, it had Prisoner of Uganda. And the audience just went crazy because it was a way, I think, I think what the, in a weird way, what the premise of the show is to make politics, to make w the struggle, to make all this kind of palatable and, and, uh, to get information out there, but get it out there in a way that empowers people and makes them laugh, but also makes them think. I think that's what the show does. And uh, I'm very proud to be a part of it and, and, and very proud to be doing it and, and doubly proud to be working for the Alley Fournay Center now. Yeah, I'm still waiting for the right wing to find a way to pin the Gulf oil spill on I the think... gay agenda. <laughs> it was actually what? a gay working on BP it's, ship. Who, uh... If they're smart, <laughs> they'd get us down there and clean it up because we're a tidy people, <laughs> you know. I was thinking about that yesterday. Just buses of gays going down to the Gulf, being like, "We could clean this up, no problem." You know, <laughs> we could. We're 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 tidy people. 
Now, speaking about gay youth and its help, there's there's one show I found very fascinating on the thing, if, if only for one character. Yeah. Are you a fan of Glee? I uh, am a slight fan of Glee. I mean, it seems to me on a major network show to have, you know, a, a one of their major characters be, you know, an out oh, yeah. LGBT youth is a major kind Absolutely. of Absolutely. Absolutely. I think visibility is still so important, and I think Glee is handling it really, really well. And I think the amazing thing that is coming is coming out now is the in general I wouldn't say Glee's strength is its plot lines but I do think that storyline Kurt's storyline is, is about the best handled of all absolutely this. and they really handle it with reverence and a lot of dignity which doesn't happen I think for a lot of gay characters on television or hasn't happened for a lot of gay characters on television um, I think I, it's something I admire I think, I think it's something I admire certainly but I think the um I think it's it's just a sign of the times, you know? It's a sign of the times. I think that a lot of young people in this country are seeing that, that you know, we're, every, we're kind of everywhere. We're, we're part of this community and our stories need to be told and, and told with the same kind of reverence and, and sincerity that straight or, uh, you know, other people's stories are told. And it's not, beca- it's becoming less of an issue in a, in a way. And I think that's a wonderful, I think that's a wonderful move forward. And I think Kurt and other storylines like his that provide that kind of visibility are really benefits to the movement into well, one thing community. that strikes me as really fresh about his storyline is, I mean, there have been a lot of, and I think there have been a lot of, you know, especially in theater, a lot of gay issues dealt with. Very, oh, yes. But, but, in, but in a lot of ways, usually those shows are written for, I think, dominantly gay audiences. Absolutely. Whereas Kurt's story and the and the reactions and relationships around him, I think, are very much written for a straight audience overall. They're, oh, totally. I think it empowers a, a gay audience, but it, it's written to you know, coddle the straight people along. Absolutely. And, it, and, and, and the wonderful thing that they do, I think, on that show is they don't kind of kowtow to it either. You know, Kurt has complex emotions, even though he's a wonderful dancer and, you know, <laughs> can decorate a room brilliantly. He's not just those things. He, there's a lot of complexities to it, which I, I, I find really fascinating and, and like very much. And then you get into the social issues of the jock trying to be friends with oh, him and sure. how does that fit into his sure. social status? I can't imagine. I can't imagine. I I see kids, I, I mean, even those kids that wanted to go to their prom with a date, with a, the, you know, their gay date, their gay date, that's terrible. But I can't imagine, I can't imagine be going, I, I in 19... 19- Something, you know, when I was in high school. 11. 1911. <laughs> it was a very different world. We were preparing for the Great War, which we didn't know had happened yet. And, um, you know, it was a different world. But it's, it's amazing to me to see how many young, brave gay people there are in the world. And, and they're just living their lives authentically. And I think that's marvelous. I really do. All right. So once again, let's get out a little bit of this information. Absolutely. Again. Your show, the meeting is the meeting on uh, the June twenty first. June twenty first, ten p.m. at La Poisson Rouge. Uh, you can get tickets on their website, lprnyc.com. Is there also a link from your Facebook page? There is a link from our Facebook page We'll be putting page that well. up on the Broadway Bullet. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and again, once again, the Ali Fournay Center. The for Ali anybody Fournay who wants Center. to investigate this topic either in New York or anywhere else in the country, because it's, it's certainly an important issue. Absolutely. Um, uh, Ali, Ali Fournay, Fournay Center. Center. 
dot org dot org, and I get that link will also be on the web page. Absolutely, they're a great organization, and and anything we can do to help them is is a benefit for the whole community, really. Well, uh, Justin Sayer, I really admire what you're doing. For thank you very much. Hopefully, uh, we you know round up a little bit of support and some people coming down to see the meeting. Absolutely, it comes back in September too. So if you listen to this late, don't fret. No, we'll be back doing something. God knows we'll be doing something funny somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Justin Sayer, thank you for coming down. And thank best of luck. you. Thanks. On the boards. I caught with Glee at the New York Musical Theater Festival when it was in 07, and it was actually my favorite show of the festival that year. So I'm pleased to see it returning to New York to the Prospect Theater Company. So with Glee is not just capitalizing on the success of a certain uh, popular TV show. <laughs> it was around before. And uh, here with us we have director Igor Golden and actor Dan Lawler, who also participated in the original version at Nymph. How are you guys doing? Great. Doing great. Thanks for having to be us. here. You want to introduce yourselves so people can connect your name and your voice? Sure. I'm Igor Golden. I'm the director. I'm Dan Lawler, and I'm playing the character Clay in With Glee. All right. The one thing I did not like about Glee when I saw it was the name. I was kind of expecting a boys' glee club or something, and it really has mm -hmm. nothing to do with a glee club, does it? No, actually it does not. Glee as in uh, <laughs> the word uh, to execute something with the utmost glee. Mm. <laughs> so getting that out of the way, tell us a little bit about what is With Glee. Uh, with Glee is a, a, a new musical comedy. It's about five uh, eccentric teenage boys who are sent off to a boarding school. Um, and while they're there, they uh, start discovering uh, how to live life to the fullest. They search for acceptance and normalcy and finally realize that whatever song they choose to sing, they need to sing it with glee. And how would you describe the show, Dan? Uh, yeah, it's about five kids really um, coming from totally disparate worlds and meeting at this place that just kind of um, forces them to to work out a life together so they can, you know, exist for a year at a school together. And, for example, my character has been there for... He's sort of the veteran of the school, and he's been there for five or six years. It's all the other boys, uh, it's all their first year there. Um, so they learn to work with him, he learns to work with them, and... Uh, uh, they get in a lot of fun adventures and put on a cool show. It's a very slice of life. It's very much like a lost boy kind of story. Mm -hmm. Five guys who, for whatever reason, their parents just don't want them around and how they ultimately discover who they are and become comfortable with who they are and, and by doing so, collectively uh, learn to live life. Mm -hmm. uh, now, Dan, I can understand that this was kind of a last-minute addition to the NymphFest. Yeah, I remember, well, we, the show had its first sort of full-bodied production at the Skirball Center at NYU. Um, yeah, and that's the other thing. It was almost kind of like an NYU production moved to NIMF, wasn't it? It completely was, actually. The whole <laughs> cast was either current or uh, alums of performance programs throughout NYU. Um, and it was just very well received, and uh, I, apparently some other production backed out of Nymph that year, and we got um, offered to step in at the last second. It's exciting. So uh, what transpired? Do you know anything about the history? What transpired between then and now it's coming back to the Prospect Theater? Well, uh, what I know is that Kara uh, uh, Reichel, the artistic director of Prospect, uh, 
saw it uh, at Nymph, liked it, uh, started talking to John Greger, the, the writer, uh, about a potential production. Um, and uh, I actually was not involved with the show uh, in earlier incarnations. She saw a show that I directed called Like You Like It and thought that I would be a good match with it. Um, then she called me and we got together. Is that the gallery players production? That's thing? correct. Yep. And uh, uh, we got together and then did uh, a trial run, a reading, a 29-hour reading that Dan was involved with mm-hmm. um, just to see if it was a good fit for everyone. And indeed it was. And, and here we are. So what attracted you to this show as a director? Uh, it's honesty. It's earnestness. I love that it is void from any cynicism. I love that I was moved because of something joyous and not something that tragic. Um, I think it has an amazing heart. I think that it is surprisingly uh, funny and uh, moving. Um, and in a sense, I don't want to use the, the term old-fashioned. I think that it's old-fashioned. It seems old-fashioned because it lacks cynicism. Mm-hmm. But there's something so beautiful about it in its in its warmth, in its positive nature, mm-hmm. and and really in its in what the title represents, in its in its glee. Yeah, um, and you're dealing with characters who, for the most part, are 13 years old, and they're sort of written as as a real 13. They're not. Um, there isn't sort of adult language thrust upon them. They they deal with situations as young teenagers, and it's um, it's. I think it's interesting to experience characters like that who are truly acting their age. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, you brought in uh, some recordings here. I understand that you have the opening number, which was taped from a live production of this at, at some point. I think Is that the nymph? Do you know? I think the recording that you're going to hear is from the original at Skirball, the uh-huh. Skirball Center at NYU. Well, do you want to set up what we're going to hear? In this so this number? is uh, halfway through the opening sequence, which is a rather lengthy sequence. I think it's maybe eight or nine minutes mm-hmm. long. But what basically we've done is introduced all the boys and their parents and the conflict and the reason why they're being sent off to boarding school, which they call uh, the bad kids school. Um, and at this point where we – I think where we're cutting into the song is where the kids have finally boarded the train – to leave their parents. And then from that point on, it plays out to the end. All right, let's mm-hmm. take a listen. I won't know a soul when I get
All right, Dan. So since you were involved in this, do you happen to know the, the people who are I also working on this? The cast uh, included myself. Uh, it was Greg Kinney, Michael Miller, Ryan Speakman, Justin Bolero, Kevin Michael Murphy, uh, Liz Karens, and it was directed by Ryan McKennion and music directed by Lindsay Weiner. All right. So are, are any of the other original cast members coming back for this production? Or? Uh, not in this one, no. I'm, I'm lucky to be so, here. So how, would, how did you get sur- survive? I, I think <laughs> I, I was Is lucky. Is it still because you look fresh-faced and young? Maybe. Everyone's, everyone's <laughs> aged terribly <laughs> except me. <laughs> no. um, uh, I, I was lucky enough to, to be part of the reading this summer at um, uh, with, with Prospect and uh, just was lucky to stick on board. <laughs> So what are uh, some of the – are you learning anything new, finding any different angles to the character? Or, on the other hand, have there been any significant changes from that production to this production? Well, we haven't begun the rehearsal process just yet. But um, uh, I'm – just in the weeks leading up to rehearsal starting this weekend, I'm, I'm thinking about the character in new, in new ways and new ideas are coming to mind. Definitely. I think you're going to find it, since we haven't started rehearsal yet, you're going to find it really exciting because you're going to have four complete, well, actually, six completely yeah. different sensibilities For sure. throwing the ball at you. Yeah. And it's going to be interesting to see what you keep and what you mm-hmm. adjust. And Yeah, I'm very um, excited about about the new, because, you know, I'm used to hearing these lines coming out of the same mouths for two different productions. Mm-hmm. So um, this will be a cool adaptation experiment. <laughs> it's nice. We have him from the the original incarnations. We have uh, two other people that were with us for this reading that we did for Prospect. I don't know, maybe six months ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, then the rest are new to the project. Um, some have known about it. Some, it, it's completely new to them. So it'll be really nice coming into the space and just reinventing and rediscovering something that's that's. Uh, already tried and true, which is always a little daunting. <laughs> now, I understand, we, we also have a recording here of the composer singing one of the songs from the show? Yeah, he actually sings a song that Dan sings in the show mm-hmm. called Clay's Song. Yeah, so my character... This is because uh, despite the fact that you've done the show umpteen million times, you're not good enough for us to hear. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. I just lip sing to him sitting there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, my character uh, has a... a a model boat that he's um, very, very much attached to, and is sort of his security, uh, his security blanket thing. Um, so this song is him, him singing about his story with his boat and and how much it means to him. And his boat's name is Mortimer. Mortimer the boat. Yes. <laughs> All right. Let's take a listen. My therapist tells me stop playing with that boat. Go out and make some friends. Stop playing with that boat. But people come and go, and friendships sometimes end. But my boat keeps getting better the more time with him I spend. So how can't you get connected when you've crazy glued your fingers to your best friend in the world? I gallantly saved him from a life of collecting dust. When I saw him on the shelf, I said to myself that I absolutely must set him free it was up to me to see his purpose filled so i bought him and i got him for half price off and i began to build his sales came apart when he got stuck in the back of my dad's mini van from his complete and utter lack of respect for my boat but instead of biting nails i took a silk shirt off my dad's now my boat has sails on the masts 
My therapist tells me stop playing with that boat. Play soccer with some friends. Stop playing with that boat. But people come and go, and friendships sometimes end. But my Mortimer gets better the more time with him I spend. So how can't you get connected when you've crazy glued your fingers to your best friend in the world? The rigging came from my mother's sewing kit. I used up all her string, and so she went and had a fit. My mother yelled at me. My father yelled at her. They yelled all night. And I kept working on my Mortimer. My therapist tells me stop playing with that boat. Just try to make one friend stop playing with that boat. But we've been through thick and thin, and you'll have to agree that when all is said and done, he's been through just as much as me. He can't play baseball or watch TV, but he's been as good a friend as a friend could be. All right, so With Glee is playing from July 10th through August 1st? That's correct. And uh, what theater you guys It's at you? the Kirk Theater at Theater Row okay. on 42nd Street. Um, and it's got a great cast, if I can list their names. Yeah, They're uh, uh, Chris Davis Carlisle, Dan Lawler, who's to my left, Zach Bandler, Max uh, Spitolnik, Jason Edward Cook, Greg Horton, and Aaron Gerizal. All right. Any last parting shots you'd like to get out about the show before you? Before uh, I just think that it's a real crowd pleaser. It's it's a rare show. I don't. I, I read a lot of scripts, and uh, it's rare that I come across something that that evokes such an emotional response um, uh, and is so universal. I think that there's something that everybody can latch onto in this show, uh, and it kind of transcends age as well. I think it's good for young people and it's great for adults. And I think for adults, there's something very nostalgic about it. And for kids, there's something that, that they can immediately connect to. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, hopefully everybody can get a chance to make it out this summer. With Glee from July 10th through August 1st, Prospect Theatre Company, Igor Golden and Dan Lawler, thank you so much for stopping by. And best thank of luck you. with the production. Thank you very much. On the boards. Oberon Theater Ensemble is no stranger to Broadway Bullet listeners, and they're back again for their rep season for 2010, this time presenting Othello and the new play, Order, from June 3rd to the 26th. And we've got uh, actor and art- artistic director Brad Fryman. Hi, Been on the show before. Here with uh, director of the show Order, Austin Pendleton, 21 nominee, Hi. who's also been on the show before. How are you guys doing? Yeah, fine. Fantastic. Fine. Thank you. All right, so I guess uh, the first thing would be uh, tell us a little bit. Well, let's start. I, I think people know what Othello is about, so maybe let's start off by talking about what order is about in your uh, rep here. Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> order is about a guy who has given up on all his dreams, has taken a job as an assistant in an office is unhappy in his work, unhappy in his marriage, unhappy even with his therapist, and in constant state of denial about his own anger. 
about what his life has become. And he begins to be visited by a demon from someplace. <laughs> and, um, a demon from heaven. <laughs> yeah, a demon from heaven, yeah. And uh, gradually he, he gets, he accesses his inner anger, his own inner demon, and begins to act out. Now, I think this play is very funny. I mean, uh, the, the way I describe it. You say it, that's so serious. Yeah. I think this play yeah. is very but, funny. But I mean, I mean, I mean, well, I always, when I say something's funny, I always preface it with I think, because everybody's entitled to their own. But I think it's very, very funny. And although the theme of it, as you can tell, is pretty serious. Playwright's also written uh, 23 Knives, which was po very popular last year. As, yeah. As a couple other things, too, right? And Crazy oh, for the Dog. Crazy and, for the Dog, yeah. yeah. He's, he's, the, he's the real deal as a playwright. I mean, I mean, he writes people who are very alive, and his point of view about things is very original and, and funny and striking and kind of disturbing, and he's a terrific, he's the real article as a playwright. So, and Brad, what show are you acting in? For I am acting in order. So, you, so you're acting in order. We should say the playwright's name, Chris Bowl. Yes. B-O-A-L. Yeah. So now do you list the cast listing in order of appearance? And I'm, I'm, I'm just getting way too silly here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, it's been quite exceptional watching Austin and Chris work, really, truly, um, to be presenting something for the first time and for a playwright to have the freedom to actually see something on its feet and decide with Austin, well, maybe, maybe we can make some adjustments here or maybe we can tell this story in a more striking and unique manner and I, I just I've just been thrilled with the process it's been amazing so I'm curious Austin now you you've like acted and directed and I believe written too in pretty much all mediums right like I've television acted film in, I've acted in, in all media I've, I've directed and written in the theater okay but I've acted Okay, I thought you maybe did some directing in film or television, no. too, as well. No. I've never taken a Polaroid, let alone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, even the use of that phrase rather dates yeah. me. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, whip out your camera now. Yeah, right. <laughs> Check on your camera. It might have a foot, of, a foot or on there. So what attracted you to order in the, in the first place? How did you come across this play? Who, who me? Yeah. Chris, about a year ago, he showed it to me. And I thought it was his best play. I've, I've liked the other ones. I mean, I've, I've really liked them. But I thought this was the best one so far that I had written. And at that time, I didn't think I was going to be free right now to direct this. So then Chris was in Los Angeles, and then he came into town, what, maybe two months ago or something like that. And we, and, and we had breakfast one, one morning, and he sort of casually brought up, I, would you, by any chance, would you now be free to direct it? At the time slot, at the, in the same slot, I said, "Well, actually, now, yeah, I would." Things had shifted in my life, and so I said, "Sure." <laughs> <laughs> and uh, but what what actually drew me to it was, it was a very dark theme that I thought in Chris's treatment of it had a lot of unexpected subversive humor, and I like that combination a lot. But you know what? I say all that, and it, all that's true, but I never can tell why I want to do something and why I don't. It's just a feeling. You just mm -hmm. like, you begin to enjoy the idea of being in a rehearsal room with a particular script. <laughs> you don't know quite why. Sometimes I'm wrong. 
sometimes I well I've never been wrong if I if I if I if I thought I wanted to I've never been wrong I mean okay. uh, um, in that I have in fact enjoyed it <laughs> uh, but um, sometimes I'm wrong in that I don't I don't want to direct it I don't want to direct it and for some reason I get maneuvered into it and then I have a really good time but whenever I feel the way I feel about order, that I would really enjoy the process of working on this, and I really think it has a has a shot to entertain and and uh, engage an audience, that's that's proved to be true. Uh, I I have enjoyed it. <laughs> I, I've 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 really enjoyed it, and. Uh, and that's happening with this play. It just kind of a thing leaps out at the page, and it either and you can analyze it thematically, but that doesn't really tell you anything. You could write a play, and even a funny play, on the exact same theme, and maybe just I uh, wouldn't be, be taken with the writing. Yeah, it's indefinable. Now, Brad Oberon, you're an artistic director with Oberon. Now, you kind of regularly do this. You, have, you pair up a classic and a contemporary play. Yeah. Um, is there any sort of like ties that bind Othello oh, together with so many orders ties that, that bind? Yeah, <laughs> there really are. Totally, uh, yeah. We were. We. Were, I'll start from the big ones. Uh, um, the demon inside of all of us. You know, you're riding on a train and someone bumps into you and you want to punch him in the face, but something in our construction says maybe we shouldn't do that right now. And both plays are dealing with the demons inside. Iago gets passed over for a promotion and his envy and jealousy just enrages him so much that he takes action. And uh, uh, he's able to manipulate Othello and, and into believing that maybe his his incredible wife is, is being unfaithful. So, so now his demons inside are alive and enraged, and Shakespeare tells the story in such a beautiful way. And then we cut to Order, which is about essentially this guy's demons inside after trying to live life in a good way and make a difference doing the littlest things, being kind and just living well and for and good to your neighbor. And, uh, and then when that life constantly steps on him and 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 bullies him and pushes him around that demon inside that normally can be controlled and you don't hit the guy on the subway starts to come alive and uh really uh makes him take a different direction in his life um so it's the demons it's our demons how we deal with them and how we choose to move on from when they become alive. And both plays are exactly about that. And the process is thrilling. I get to jump in from rehearsals for Othello that Carl Reichel is directing, and she's this incredible gem of a director who just... Our listeners should be very familiar with Cara, too, with Prospect Theater. We've had her on. Exactly. I think Prospect's one of the best new... um, presenters of new musicals out there. I really think they're exceptional. And to have someone with that kind of a background come in and and do their work on a such a special Shakespeare play, um, the, the rhythms, the stage pictures, the it's just the ideal combination. I, I can't say how humbled I am to have Austin join us and, and being in, in these rehearsals and, and creating something that maybe a, a style of 
theater that people may have never seen. I mean, it really is exciting. And then in the next room to have Kara working her magic with such a beautiful, intense play. I, I, it's, it's an incredible spring, summer. <laughs> it mm-hmm. really, really is. Now, from what are my memory, Oberon's a pretty strong ensemble as well of, yes. of, of participants. And now, Austin, I'm guessing that you've done, as a director, you've worked with shows that are complete one-offs and, uh, you know, in, in addition to, you know, ensemble groups. And I'm kind of mm-hmm. curious, you know, from a casting perspective, from working with people who have worked together, what do you find the biggest difference for you as a director from starting from scratch and just kind of picking whoever in the city from starting, you know, with an ensemble? Well, I have no trouble with starting with an ensemble if it's a good ensemble. And I've seen Oberon Productions. I mean, I knew a certain amount of the act. I mean, the play was cast a long time before I got almost completely cast. A long time before I got involved with it as a director officially. And, but I'd seen, but, but I knew two or three of the actors already. I'd worked with them and, and I knew them and I knew their new other work that they'd done that I had not directed. And I've seen other Oberon productions, and I, just, I took the cast on faith. It's like I've, I've often worked at theaters where they have... I mean, like I was started directing in the early days at Steppenwolf in Chicago, mm-hmm. and I didn't know any of those people. Now all of them are international <laughs> celebrities. But, but, but even more to the point, they're all very good, <laughs> and they always were. And um, I used to work a lot up at, up at the Williamstown Theater Festival, and those shows were often precast. And just so so long as you know that the organization in question, that they have good actors, that they use good actors. And that they've got a good sense of where those actors belong, I imagine. Yeah, yeah. And they, they... they cast them in roles that are that, that are good for them, but they also cast them in roles that will be challenging for them, which I think is very important for an actor, where the role may be a little bit of a departure. And that you get a very special kind of work from a really talented actor cast in a role that's unusual for them. They really put out in a very uh, interesting and focused way. And uh, so... Um, so I've always been very open to that because so much of my earlier experience as a director have been that. I, I tend to get a little anxious when the whole town is at my disposal. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, it, it, you, you can come up with some incredible things that way. But, but I think, well, wait, I, I could choose any one of these people. Why don't you pick them? You know? <laughs> and, uh, or sometimes I, I read a play and I have a whole lot of actors to draw from, but I have such a clear idea of what I want that I that I take a bunch of actors I know from other places and I put them together. Uh, so I, I, I tend to be kind of flexible about that. If the group is as good as Oberon. Yeah. If they're not, I either don't want to direct there or I, I, uh, I say we have to clean house here a little bit for this one production. And sometimes you get in trouble that way. <laughs> For good reasons. Yeah. I mean, these people have built up an ensemble, and mm-hmm. there's a lot of loyalty. In, I mean, it, it's not unreasonable for them to oppose me on that. But, but every once in a while that happens, but certainly not here. No, this cast. Mm-hmm. If I had had the whole town at my disposal, mm-hmm. I would have felt happy with this cast. All right. And yeah. So now, are any of the actors doing this as a true rep? Any actors doing both no, shows? No, this year, because of the, <laughs> the, the very special circumstances, n- no one is cross-cast this year. 
but uh, we have done that, and we enjoy doing that in the past. What what we did really is, since the public is doing that this summer <laughs> in the park, we decided that we'd keep the cast separate. <laughs> so now, uh, you guys are are you still based out of a theater row? Theater yeah, row, right yeah. on Forty Second Street. Come on down. <laughs> <laughs> and again, the the rep runs from the third through the twenty sixth of June, correct? Yes. And uh, Oberon Theater with re dot org. Yes. Is the website any any other parting shots you'd like to get out about? Just the 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 exceptional gratitude for you having us here and talking to us. And and yeah. again, I just I I I don't want to embarrass Austin, but this process and having having someone like you come and and share with us in the creation of of a truly original play, um, the the company, the the ensemble, and. And really, uh, your contribution to the theater world is insane. Austin goes to classes, uh, teaching, and and um, and we're fortunate enough to have, I believe, one of your students in the show, yes. yeah. which is which is spectacular. So he's a, a man of and for the theater that fights, gets in the trenches with us, fighting to create something. And I think. I, I just stand in awe of the work. I saw Austin in uh, uh, Lemonade Tous Les Jours about a month ago, right down on 26th Street, in the, the 23rd Street yeah. in the cell. And I was, th- this was before we knew that everything was going to fall together for us. And it was such a lovely, beautiful performance. And, and to, 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 to have people continue to come and work at this level in the hopes of, um, Helping theater world in general is just astounding, and we're so appreciative. And yet, despite all these positive things, I don't see you handing him a rose to invite him back next week. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you may have something else to talk about. Who knows? (laughs) Isn't that how The Bachelor works? I don't don't watch that. All right. So, again, it's Othello and Order and Brad Fryman and Austin Pendleton. Thanks so much for coming down, and best of luck in the run of your rep. Thanks a lot. Thanks. On the boards. Could your first day of college been turned into a musical? Well, BJ, a musical romp uh, deals with exactly that, the first day of college for a certain character. And we have got Peter Dagger, the writer-producer, as well as Matt Britton, the director-producer, here with us to talk about their show running from June 15th to the 25th of Planet Connections Festivity. How are you guys doing? Doing great. Doing good. You want to introduce yourself so people can connect the voice to the name? Uh, I'm Peter Dagger. And I'm Matt Britton. All right, so I guess first things first, tell us about what is BJ a musical romp? So BJ Musical Romp is a musical about the first day of college. BJ is a homeschooled only child boy, never really been out in the world, never talked to a girl his own age, has a very overproductive mother, and she finally lets him go to college um, where he meets zany characters and has a wild first day of college, loosely based on my own Freshman year experience. <laughs> Were you homeschooled with a protective mother? I was not. <laughs> no. But I can relate to, you know, BJ's loosely based on me in a certain way. He has a naivety. Did um, you work in a nursing home? I didn't. I actually almost did. That was like, oh. going to be my summer job. Okay. Um, and then I had to find out they wanted me to change diapers. Uh, oh. So BJ works in a nursing home. <laughs> so his only interaction with women has been older ladies. 
<laughs> so Matt, uh, what's your connection been to the show? How long have you been with this? Yeah, well, uh, Pete uh, was working on it at Syracuse. I also went to Syracuse University with uh, Peter. And then um, a couple years ago here in the city, he asked me if I would direct a reading of it, uh, which we did with some of the original cast members from Syracuse and then some newer people as well. Um, and that went really well. Uh, and so we decided to put it up in the festivity this year. And uh, he asked if I would direct again, and I was more than happy to. So what attracted you to uh, Planet Connections for the, this production of the show? Um, well, I worked with them last year, actually. On, me and Matt produced my show, Weight of the World, with them. And they're great. They're easy to work with. And also we get to work with a charity and be green and sustainable. So um, Glory and Jenna are great to work with. So we wanted to work with them again. And last year was their first year as well uh, as ours being a part of the festival. So having been with the festival from the beginning and now in its second year, you can see the growth in the festival as well, and it's exciting to be a part of that. So what is the charity that you've picked this year for? Um, we're working with the Organic Consumers Association, which is a cause that is very uh, near to me. Um, they are all about promoting organic lifestyle um, food without antibiotics, uh, hormones, and chemicals and pesticides. So um, we are going to be advertising them on our website, in our program, collecting donations, and I'm going to be making a poster about organic living for the lobby of the theater. <laughs> so now I, I have to say, actually, when I first saw the title, BJ, A Musical Romp, I, uh, perhaps something much nastier came into my mind. <laughs> well, I mean that, and and that comes to mind during the show as well. But it's it's not much more than that. It's a, it's a lot of innuendo, a lot of funny uh, funny references, you know, that Peter has written. But um, but there's no you know like sexual acts performed on stage that anyone should be afraid of coming to see. It's just it's just uh, you know a, a, this homeschooled kid's first day of college learning about these sort of, you know, terms and things that he's never heard about. We actually, in the show, there's a, a, a sex thesaurus, uh, which plays a part in the show, kind of explaining, helping to explain to uh, BJ, you know, these, these things which he has never had to understand yet. So uh, you said you wrote this while you were at Syracuse. Was this like an assignment or just something you wanted to do? Or what? Um, No, just something that I wanted to do. I actually wrote the book and lyrics, and Eric Jarboe, a classmate, wrote the music. Um, and wrote some great tunes such as A Blowjob is Much More Than a Job and The Blue Ball Blues, um, I Love Math. There's a lot of great tunes that you can actually check out at our MySpace. And our website is uh, bjmusicalromp.com. So, and uh, so and the show runs June 15th through the 25th. Right? Yep. Exactly. And uh, people can find specific dates at your website that you just mentioned, I mm -hmm. take it, as well as planetconnectionsfestivity.org. So uh, any party shots you want to get out here? Yeah, I, I mean, it's just really, uh, it's sort of a sitcom of a musical. Like, this is just going to be a really fun time uh, for everyone in the audience. And hopefully, you know, even on stage, you'll be able to tell what, what a fun time we've just really had with this show. So I'm really excited to uh, share that with people in the festival. All right. Well, Peter Dagger and Matt Britton, thanks so much for stopping by. And best of luck with the show and the festival. Thank you. Great, thank you. I've got the blues, the great big blue ball blues, oh yeah. So eat my pepperoni and ride my baloney pony. Don't look down at my shoes, just help me with these blue ball blues.
Don't you know what it's like to lie to your mother year after year, telling her that Howard, the friendly neighborhood mailman, is actually some sick pervert who rips out the underwear section of her J.C. Penny catalog? Don't you know what it's like to sneak downstairs at midnight and turn on channel 73 and you think you're getting off to scrambled porn, but actually it's just Mary Poppins and that Spoonful of Sugar is not in fact some obscure sexual reference? I want some great oral sex, none of that old-fashioned gag reflex. I've got everything to lose, don't you know I got these darn blue ball blues? Be loyal like Horatio, and practice your fellatio. like to really want some DiGiorno's and so you go to the local supermarket and the cute checkout girl says can I put that in a bag for you and you say yes ma'am and then she says do you want paper or plastic paper or plastic and she's wearing that cute little name tag that says Katie and she smiles at you and then you get a little nervous and then your sleeping dragon starts to wake from down below and it's no use hiding it because you're wearing sweatpants don't you know what it's like to make love to a tube sock I'm begging you, baby, please Just get down on your knees Take a trip down south and put it in your mouth Give your lips a pucker You know you want a sucker No ifs, ands, or buts I'm gonna bust a nut So sing an Hey, this once again is Marty Cooper on the positive side. I'm back for the Tony edition. As you know, Tony Awards are this Sunday night. Here are a few of my predictions. We usually have a discussion, uh, Mike and I, about these, but uh, my time is limited today. So uh, I'm just going to give my ideas. If, if you have any comments, just email me at broadwaymarty at aol.com. Okay, I'll I'll get the play out of the way, uh, the non-musical. Uh, I think, as it did in the, uh, in the Drama Desk Awards, I think Red will probably win the best play. Uh, that's one of the only things going this year. And as far as revival of a play, I'm pretty sure that Fences will probably win revival of a play. Although, at the Drama Desk, a view from the bridge won. My hope... Uh, and my prediction uh, for Best Musical will probably be Memphis, and that seems to be the popular, popular decision. Uh, to me, it's a no-brainer. It's the only musical that's nominated for Best Musical, Best Score, Best Book, Best Direction, 
and two best leads. Uh, so it seems to me uh, that that would be it. And it did win the Drama Desk Award, it, and it also won the uh, uh, Outer Critic Circle Award. As far as best score, uh, I'm going with Memphis also. The only other real musical theater score up is The Addams Family. Uh, to nominate Enron and, F and Fences uh, seems to be a bit odd uh, because they had nothing else to nominate. I would have just gone with the two shows. And of the two, uh, I tend to pick Memphis. As far as best actor in a musical, uh, I'm rooting for Chad Kimball, but I'm not so sure about that. But, uh, it seems popular opinion is going to Douglas Hodge uh, for Lacajo Fall. Um, my feeling is that he and Kelsey Grammer will kind of cancel themselves out. And uh, either Chad Kimball or Sean Hayes will win Best Actor in a Musical. That's my feeling. Uh, you have any arguments, let me know. Uh, best Actress in a Musical? Uh, people are feeling that they can't not give it to Catherine Zeta-Jones. Uh, I watch Montego Glover every night. Uh, I think she is fantastic. She's full of energy. She's got a great voice, great acting. I'm rooting for her, but uh, my heart tells me that Miss Jones will win. Okay, for best direction of a musical, uh, I think Lakai seems to be the popular favorite. Uh, I once again will go with Christopher Ashley for, for Memphis. Book of a musical this year has to be Memphis. Uh, it's, to me, it's one of the only things going. Uh, by the way, I haven't mentioned uh, American Idiot. Uh, I saw the show. I liked it a lot. Uh, it has no plot. It has uh, uh, a lot of dirty words. But the staging, to me, is brilliant. Uh, I had a good time. My wife didn't. Uh, but uh, I don't think that will kind of measure up compared to some of the other uh, uh, shows up, whatever. So um, that's my feelings. Uh, I think I've gone to No, I haven't mentioned choreography. And uh, saw point in choreography, uh, Memphis is from beginning to end is dancing constantly, and that wasn't even recognized. Of the shows up, uh, probably Fela will win, although I haven't seen it. But from what I understand, uh, the choreography is brilliant. This is just my opinion, uh, and uh, uh, I'm hoping for certain things, I'm rooting for certain things, as you well know, uh, and we'll see what happens. In any case, uh, I hope to speak to you soon. Uh, once again, this is Marty Cooper, and I'm still on the positive side. On 
the boards. The financial market is the subject of a pitch black comedy called Cake, set in 1999 at the Planet Connections Festivity. And we have got with us playwright Felipe Osa and director Leah Bonvasudo. Did I get both those right? Yeah. Perfect. Hi. Hey. <laughs> and they're here to talk with us a little bit about the show, the festivity, and, the, and their work. How are you guys doing? I'm We're doing good. great. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So the first thing is uh, your, your elevator pitch. What do you tell your friends and, and people you bump into? Okay. In, I'll, I'll, take, in I'll take this one. Yeah. Okay. Um, it's um, a play about the abduction of a far-right economist. So um, kind of like an Ann Coulter-esque figure, someone who's a real um, lightning rod for the left in, in America. Um, and uh, she's abducted by a cell of far-left uh, would-be revolutionaries. Um, and most of the play takes place in uh, the basement where she's being held. Uh, that's basically okay, it. I, I heard, like, you know, financial, and then I heard wah, 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 wah. <laughs> <laughs> so what about in terms that, like, people who aren't into the financial market can, can get? Where, sure. Where, where's sure. the emotional hook? Yeah, I think the emotional <laughs> hook is, um, well, first of all, you know, uh, Ann Coulter, I think, is a pretty big figure. A lot of people know who she is. Um, she's written a, a lot of bestsellers. And so this, this person is a real kind of populist, kind of like a Sarah Palin and Coulter type, um, but uh, is, is a real economist and, is, and has written books, bestsellers, uh, with a lot of sound bites that um, enrage the left. Um, I think uh, liberal audiences in New York will very much uh, know who this person is and will relish seeing her taken down by uh, a crossbow. Um, um, uh, and a chloroformed shoulder pad. Yeah. <laughs> and so there, there are really high farce elements to it. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think, but, but we're very much interested in, in surprising audiences as well. It's, it's a matter of, you know, giving them what they want, but maybe showing them... Um, more interesting things with the characters uh, and the plot, you know. And all five characters have tremendous emotional depth, and we won't give anything away here, but um, they're deeply, deeply rooted in their ideologies, which turn out to be, you know, less um, holding than we may expect. And um, there are twists and turns in the play that, that really give into deep emotional bounds. So, Leah, is, is this your first experience as a director working with Felipe? No, we met years ago through Brooklyn Playwrights Collective where, you know, he had seen my work and I had seen his. And we waited for years looking for a perfect project. And last summer in Planet Connections, we um, premiered Monetizing Emma, which is a play of Felipe's that I directed. And it was very successful, the collaboration. It was a wonderful production, and he's ac- it's actually been picked up. It's mo- going to Chicago and Indiana in June. Yeah, and it and won a couple of awards at last year's Yes, it won um, Best Script, Best Director, Best Overall Production. So we, we worked together great. Oh, yeah. Then, Who was that that won Best Director? I did. <laughs> <laughs> and he won Best Script. <laughs> yeah. So it's been a very... Great, exciting yeah. collaboration. So that show is called Monetizing Emma. Is there like some sort of financial personal <laughs> interest you have there? Well, um, let me. I'll talk a little bit about that show because I think it was an interesting collaboration. Um, you know, it's about the securitization of a 15-year-old girl, basically a 15-year-old girl, a boutique investment shop. This is kind of a dystopian future. 
um, is selling the the future earnings rights of teenagers, and um, they they find this fifteen year old girl who's perfect, and it's kind of her story. Now, in some ways, this sounds like well, I'm not going to get this on stage. Um, and I think a lot of people reading financial headlines, just like you um, had, had mentioned earlier, you know, they're a little bit confused about this. What are mortgage-backed securities? What, what's all this crazy stuff that brought the global economy to our knees? I think that there's, and I think we've shown that there's ways of dramatizing it in really fascinating ways that an audience will immediately understand um, and more importantly understand what the emotional stakes are for the characters. Um, where and where the financial backdrop is just, um, it actually can be confusing because that's how it is. That's how people, you know, respond to a lot of this. And um, that's kind of the trick, you know, over, these characters can be overwhelmed because it's overwhelming. And um, to Felipe's credit, when he writes plays, the characters are not ploys in some financial or political agenda. The characters stand alone, especially, in, I mean, monetizing Anna certainly, but Cake as well. We have five characters who could not be further apart, who could not be more rooted in their in their deep, deep beliefs. And um, the financial is more of a backdrop to their stories. Yeah. And it really is. A- and, and neither one of us has any interest in, you know, bankers are bad or, you know, um, this is the message that we want to give you about what's good and what's bad because that's just not interesting It's to about us this journey of the dramatically. characters. Yeah. yeah. It's about storytelling and journeys. Um, and it's about this insane world we live in. Um, yeah. Yeah. Now, on a different track for, you know, some of our more like, you know, inside, you know, theater people, I, I understand that you have a, a different idea about how to market this play. It's a little bit out of the norm. Yeah, I'll let Leah take that. Well, when we started talking about monetizing Emma, we did not want to market it like a traditional theater show. And we are doing the same thing with Cake in that we are marketing this play as if it is um, the message is from the market complex, which is the far left cell. So our postcard is going to be a um, message from them. And our website is going to be as if it was built in 1999 by the market complex. And then it leads the audience to information about the show. And so we have kind of an all-encompassing marketing approach. Rather than you show up at the theater and that's when the play begins, we want it to be living on the web. We want, we want to cross... Um, cross-promote, like with Monetizing Emma, we got reviews from a lot of financial websites and from um, dealbreaker.com. Right. We had a lot of interest from people who are not theater people. Yeah, and I, yeah, and I think that, um, you know, it's... Um, yeah, I think with this particular play, what we're interested in, three of the, the revolution, the would-be revolutionaries who abduct our, our uh, Anne Coulter-esque figure, they, um, they're really quite young, and, um, you know, they're enjoying this. There, there's a whole performative aspect to it within the play. And um, we want to give them an opportunity to, to tell the world, you know, we're taking her down. And we want you to come and see how much fun this is going to be. Um, because it's going to be fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of it is fun. Um, there's no denying it. Uh, and I think there's going to be a lot of, um, yeah, just immediate connection with, with, boy, I've always wanted to do that to Sarah Palin or, you know. But, but again, 
we take it much further. And we it's want, never that easy. We it's, want to surprise the audience with maybe how much they can r- relate to this character as well. And she's definitely not one-sided. And yeah. we, don't, we don't want to vilify her. We want it's, her to be more yeah. interesting. Yeah. Where did the title Cake come from? <laughs> well, actually, the, the book that this character, her name is Dana Dunnigan, wrote that so enraged the left is called Let Them Eat Cake, How the Free Market Can Spread Prosperity to Everyone. And, um, you know, it's basically, it's just, it's, it's very much like these kind of like Ann Coulter bestsellers or, you know, other ones that it's, it's filled with sound bites. You know, she does know what she's talking about on some level, but it's unclear how much she really believes everything she's, she's written into this book because a lot of it just sounds great and funny and it's nasty and it's venomous and it will get talk radio you know, talking, and and that's how, yeah, and, and, you know, basically that's how so much of that works. Mm-hmm. All right, so Cake is uh, starting on June 5th, and it will be playing through uh, June 27th at the Planet Connections Festivity, and they can go to planetconnectionsfestivity.org for the specific schedule, or your own website, themarketcomplex.org, where I guess they see that... Uh, Right, which will will be up in a few days. It's not quite launched yet. Yeah. Oh, well, it, it's up by the time we play air oh, this. Great. Wonderful. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> and uh, if there's any regional theaters out there that are interested in investigating your work, uh, is, is there a way they can get in touch with you? Well, m- my email is uh, uh, felipeosa at yahoo.com, F-E-L-I-P-E-O-S-S-A at yahoo.com. And again, and, you know, and we'll have that in the show notes for this website. Great, so okay. And again, yeah, monetizing Emma was um, actually um, uh, created a lot of buzz, uh, and uh, this theater in Indiana is doing it called New World Arts, and they're taking it to Chicago as well as part of the, the same run. And um, it's going to be interesting to see what what their take is on this kind of dystopian mm-hmm. financial future. And that website is still active, uh, monetizingemma.com, where you can kind of see our marketing approach in full effect there as well. All right. Well, uh, Leah Bonvasudo and Felipe Osa, I thank you so much for stopping by and discussing. Thanks. Thank you. It's been wonderful. Yes. Best of luck. Thank you. Thank you. Curtain call. Well, that wraps up Volume 410 of Broadway Bullet, our season finale. We will be back in September with more coverage of the New York Musical Theater Festival again this year. This will be our uh, fifth. Fourth or fifth year covering. Fifth, I think. <laughs> so, um, and again, if you'd like to be involved as a correspondent for Broadway Bullet, please, please, please uh, check out the website uh, so you can see what we're looking for. And uh, it'll be a lot of fun, I guarantee you, and, and, and worth the effort. And again, I'd love to hear the stories of what Broadway Bullet has meant to you as you've been a listener. Uh, again, you can email me at copperheadproduction at gmail.com or mgilbo at broadwaybullet.com. So until September... It's been great having you on board. Uh, look forward to a lot more. The hairs went up on the back of my neck. The Broadway Bullet! A thrilling moment. When Dove's session audition come up, we are so ready and raring. So Jake Constance is my name and I'm in the can. Actually, the Barfait thing comes from my whole life. People just going vulture, boggler. with the audience and explore them a little bit. So, a little more about our brand new theater and business arts major. I know what most theater programs are like, 
and I've talked to thousands of artists. All of this told me that a new style of theater major was needed. Theater majors can get a pretty good arts education just about anywhere, but most programs do very little to prepare actors, directors, playwrights, technicians, producers, etc., to manage their careers. When you go into the arts, you are your own business, and you need to manage that to strategically plan for your career to grow. If you've listened to many of these interviews, you know you need to be self-starters to create your own opportunities. I'm going to make sure you are ready for that world. You'll get a ton of opportunities as an undergraduate. Actors will act, even as freshmen. Designers will design shows right away. Playwrights will see their shows mounted. Directors will direct. Producers will handle shows from inception to execution. Outstanding guest artists will conduct workshops, and outstanding students will even work on this podcast and travel to New York with me for interview weeks. And if that isn't enough, we've got an amazing program that will pay all or part of your student loan payments, even private loans, if you are earning less than $40,000 six months after graduation. That is an invaluable option that lets you pursue your passion in theater with less financial pressure. If interested, and I hope you are, go to broadwaybullet.com. I'd love to help you launch your career.